Hello, my name is Josh Roan, and I'm lead pastor here at Zion Church, a United Methodist congregation in York, Pennsylvania. We're a church with a physical location, but we also have an online presence each and every weekend. But today, I want to thank you for joining us for our podcast, something that's a little bit different rather than the songs and the hymns and all those different things that are part of our regular weekend experiences. This is just the main scripture and the sermon, an opportunity for us maybe to hear again God's word, which we tuned into this weekend, or maybe an opportunity to hear it afresh and anew. So I would encourage you as the week begins to listen in and to lean in to what God is saying to you. Thank you for joining us. This morning I'm going to be reading from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, and verses 11 through 13. If you want to follow along, it can be found in your pew Bible in the Old Testament section on page 163 this morning. Again, that's Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, and then verses 11 through 13, page number 163 in the Old Testament section. Hear now the word of the Lord. It was not because you were more numerous than any other people that the Lord set his heart on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your ancestors that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who maintains covenant loyalty with those who love him and he, keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And now verses 11 through 13. Therefore, observe diligently the commandment, the statutes and the ordinances that I am commanding you today. If you heed these ordinances by diligently observing them, the Lord your God will maintain with you the covenant loyalty that he swore to your ancestors. He will love you bless you and multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your cattle and the issue of your flock in the land that he swore to your ancestors to give to you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we bow before you this day and Lord, we thank you we thank you again for this opportunity that we have to gather together for worship, to lift high the name of Christ, to hear your word. We know that in many places across the world, there is not that freedom for your people. And so, Father, we pray that today, as we gather together, that our hearts would be attuned to what you desire to speak to us. That, Lord, our minds would be actively processing and trying to understand your word more fully. And, Lord, that our lives would be looking for ways to implement this truth for the honor and glory of your name. So, Father, today we give this time over to you. We ask that this space would become sacred ground in which we would encounter you today. Father, accomplish your good, pleasing, and perfect work in us and through us. We ask and pray. And now, Lord, I ask humbly that you would speak through me, or I ask that you'd speak in spite of me. But I pray that regardless, your word would go forth and that we, your people, would be changed and we would become a bit more like you today. It's in Christ's name and to his honor and glory we ask all these things. And once again, all God's people said, amen. Well, I'm going to ask you just to picture a scene with me this morning. And it should be a scene that's rather easy to picture because it's probably familiar to most of us. 
Now, it's familiar, but on the other hand, it's also a scene that is incredibly special, unique, and sacred. Imagine the scene at the front of this church, maybe in this very sanctuary, or in one like it, is a groom. And at the front of the sanctuary is the groom and his groomsmen, and they're eagerly looking towards the back. The bridesmaids have just processed in, and the congregation is now standing because the music has started, and the bride is starting to make her processional in. Myself, or maybe another clergy person, or some designated official is standing, maybe in this very place. All eyes are fixed on the groom. All eyes are turned towards the bride and maybe a parent or guardian who is going to present her to her beloved. A voice greets the congregation and welcomes them with these very words. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today in the sight of God and before these witnesses to join together this man and this woman of holy matrimony, which is an honorable state. Instituted of God and signifying unto us the mystical union that exists between Christ and his church. This holy estate, Christ adorned and he beautified with his presence in Cana of Galilee. It's therefore something not to be entered into unadvisedly, but reverently, discreetly, and in the fear of God. And to this holy estate, these Two people come now to be joined. Do you have that picture in your mind this morning? Can you imagine the bride and the groom? Can you imagine all the festivities that are taking place? How did we get here? How did things, how did this relationship come to this point, to this moment? This moment where maybe a handful of people are gathered together to celebrate the love of this bride and groom. Or this moment where maybe a few dozen have gathered together. They're foregoing their regularly scheduled plans on a beautiful sunny Saturday afternoon. Assembling to hear the vows exchanged between this bride and her beloved. Or maybe it's a situation where there's a few hundred who have dressed up. They've come in from far-flung places, traveling countless miles to get here to celebrate the two becoming one. That cord of three strands, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that cord of three strands being fused together, the husband, the wife, and God in that moment becoming inextricably linked together. And then, of course, whether it's just a handful or whether it's a few hundred, the bride and the groom and all in this place, all in this sanctuary, are waiting for the final pronouncement, and you know what it is. For as much as this man and this woman have consented together in holy wedlock and have witnessed the same before God and this company and thereto have pledged their faith, each to the other and have declared the same by the joining of hands and the giving and receiving of rings, I pronounce that they are husband and wife together in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Those whom God has joined together, let no man, let no one put asunder. 
Of course, food and festivities are going to follow. A day of joyous celebration has just begun. But again, I ask, how did we get to this point? How have things arrived at this critical juncture in the life of this couple? What's brought them to this memorable day? Now, if John, Ringo, Paul, and George were to answer that question, undoubtedly, the answer would be singular for them. L-O-V-E. Love, love, love. It's all you need. Now, still others might contend it's something different. Maybe it was a fortuitous encounter. Maybe it was an encounter that occurred at a coffee shop. Or maybe it was on that dating app as the two swiped right and found one another. But now the two have become inextricably linked. Still others would probably claim that it was fate had a hand in what's going on. But as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, we know it's more than that. It's God's provision. It's God's goodness. He's guided the two to become one. He has brought this man and this woman to this point. But regardless of how we've got there, regardless of how we explain how we've got to this moment, the couple's now standing here. They're standing here before God, and they're standing here before those who have assembled in this place because they have decided that they want a covenant together. That's what we're going to talk about today. Covenant. In its simplest form, covenant is an agreement. It's two parties, two people in agreement about something. In the case of the bride and groom, it's an agreement about the direction that they believe their lives are headed. They're going to be, get, they're going to be together as they stayed in the vows for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Nothing is going to separate them, they believe, until death do them part. Those vows are exchanged and they express the hopes, the stated expectations of that agreement, of that covenant, of this covenant we call marriage. The vows are covenantal expectations. The agreed upon clearly stated terms of the relationship. We're going to commit to be together no matter what. No matter what hardships or joys may come our way, we are going to commit to remain together, to stay together, to fight for one another and to fight for this marriage. But here's the interesting thing as I see it this morning. A covenant requires two parties, two groups, at least two people who are in a relationship with one another. And at a specific point, these two groups, these two parties, this man and this woman, they decide that they want to define their relationship as completely as holy and fully as possible. And they want to do it in a way and in a manner that they can agree upon. And here we're talking about the covenant of marriage of two people expressing their forever undying love to one another, their commitment and fidelity to one another throughout the course of life's journey. But what I find interesting is that even long before that point, even before that couple stands here at the front of the church in the sanctuary, surrounded by their friends, their family, their loved ones, and before God, Smaller covenants have paved the way for them to get to this point. Things have started out with a simple covenant. Boy meets girl and 
boy and girl like each other. And boy and girl decide that they want to see where this might head, so they decide not to date other people. That's a covenant, an agreement. We're going to be exclusive in trying to figure out where our love might take us. Built into that very simple relationship is the simplest of agreements, the simplest of covenants. But after dating for a while, that covenant, that agreement, it becomes a little bit more complex, doesn't it? The relationship becomes defined a little bit more. The couple have to agree on where this relationship is headed. And so they begin to have conversations. Conversations about where each of them hope this relationship is going to go. Are the two just going to remain friends? Are they going to break off the romantic part of their relationship? Or are they going to continue to date? Are they going to continue to date, but maybe just wait and see for a little while longer where things are headed? Maybe just have some more fun together. Going out to theme parks and concerts and enjoying one another's companionship? Or do they hope to become more committed? Maybe, maybe making that next step, that next covenant and agreeing to get engaged to pledge themselves to one another, to say we're headed towards marriage to that sacred vow of holy matrimony. Regardless, at this point, we're well beyond that swiping right that we started out with four weeks ago. A relationship has been formed. The relationship has been defined. The covenant or the agreement regarding the relationship is coming more and more into focus. It's becoming more and more detailed and nuanced by the day. In time, the little agreements move towards the ultimate covenant. The ultimate agreement. An agreement of exclusivity. Not just for now or not just for a few months, but for ever, for the long haul. In today's scripture from Deuteronomy, we see that God entered into a covenant with Israel, didn't he? He entered into a covenant with Israel, his chosen people. And he did so, scripture says, not because they were lovable or not because they were more powerful or more numerous than all the other peoples of the world. In fact, they were the weakest, scripture says. No, God entered into the covenant with them because in his grace and his love, he made the decision to do so. He chose them. He chose to be in relationship with them. And their ancestors chose to be in relationship with God. And when God entered into that relationship with their ancestors way back when with Abraham, they established a covenant and an agreement in its simplest forms, that agreement was simple, that God would be their God and they would be his people. God also promised many other things to them. That he would bless them, that he would honor them, that he would sustain them, that he would protect them. He made these promises to them, although he expected, he expected a few things in return. There were certain things that Israel would have to do, certain things that they would have to keep. Those things were called commandments, ways of living, ways of behaving, ways of organizing and structuring their lives that marked them out as different from the other peoples of the world around them. Ways of life, 
ways of life that attested to the fact that they wanted to be in a relationship with the Lord their God, but also ways of life that would benefit them, ways of life that would make their lives better, their relationships healthier. If only they would keep those commandments. In ancient times, during the time of ancient Israel, the Old Testament, its prophets, its people, the covenant, the agreed-upon relationship, though it applied only to a specific people, the chosen, the Israelites, eventually would come to incorporate Judah when the two kingdoms would split as well. Israel and Judah being God's chosen people. But all that changed with Jesus. As we remember, each time as we gather around the table, as we eat of the sacraments, as we remember Jesus' body broken and his blood shed, we remember that his body was broken and shed not just for Israel, but for all of us. People from every tribe, people from every tongue, people who were once very far from God and from his ways. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, as he shared his final meal with his disciples, he says, this is the blood of the covenant. It's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus redefined the relationship. Whereas in the past, God had chosen to be in a relationship only with Abraham and his descendants, the nation of Israel, and then later Judah, now God had made the decision to be in relationship with many. With not only Jew, but Gentile. Not only male, but female. Not only the free, but slave, as Paul will say. And the many. The many would be those who confess with their mouths and they believe in their hearts that Jesus is Lord, as Paul would say. And as John goes on to record in, Jesus, in the gospel, he says it would be for those that believe in Jesus Christ, whom God sent into this world in love. But what I love, what I love about what we're talking about this morning, what I love is those who have confessed with their mouths and those who have believed in their hearts that Jesus is Lord, they're now in a relationship with the God of the universe. They are in a covenant relationship, the new covenant in Christ. But that covenant, it's not a private thing, is it? It's not a commitment or an agreement that we should keep to ourselves when we enter into that relationship. No, it's something very much like that couple standing at the front of the church who can't wait to tell the world about their love that we too want to share with the world when God begins that work within us, right? We want to tell everyone about it. And the way that we celebrate that covenant the way that we celebrate that covenant in the church is through the act of baptism. By outwardly proclaiming and putting on display what God is doing inward in us. So friends, today as we think about covenant, maybe even as you look at your hand and you see that wedding ring and you remember the covenant that you made with your spouse, that outward visible sign of that love that you share inwardly. Maybe as you think back to your wedding day today, 
Or maybe as you look forward to a wedding day in years to come, I want you to consider something. I want you to consider not just your relationship with that spouse or that significant other that you're in a relationship with, but I would encourage you to think about your relationship with Christ. And if you've not yet been baptized, I want to extend to you the opportunity to take that next step of faith. I want to give you that opportunity to publicly declare before this congregation and God what God has been doing inwardly in you through his grace. I want to give you that opportunity to proclaim your love of God to the assembled. To say that the good news has taken root in your life and God is changing you from the inside out. And in particular, I want to point you back to the bulletin this morning to that announcement about baptism, that opportunity to begin that conversation about how you can take that next step of faith. And I want to encourage you too, if you are in that relationship with God, if you have been baptized, maybe the next step of faith for you is to enter into covenant relationship with the body of Christ, the church. To take that step to say, I am going to honor and glorify God through my presence, my prayers, my gifts, and my service. And I pledge that God to you and to the body of Christ who is around me. Here's the great thing about that too. The body of Christ who is around you pledges certain things to you. They make certain commitments. They make an agreement with you that they will support you through those same things as well. So friends, today as we think about covenant, May God be glorified in us. May God be glorified in his church and in our lives, both now and forever. Amen? amen. And amen.